one of the kids, he broke it down because he was scared to swim. Maybe clear say, are you going to continue to try? And then he broke it down. He said, that's what we're here for. Try master. Try to learn how to be the master of what we do. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 76. Today, I have the privilege and honor of interviewing the ambassador to the sport of triathlon. Bernard Laos is well known in the triathlon community, particularly the African-American community. Again, he's internationally known as the ambassador of the sport of triathlon. He's been instrumental in Hundreds of African Americans taking on the sport of triathlon. His passion for the sport and interest in teaching the youth, particularly African American youth, led him to found TriMaster Chicago in 1990. In TriMaster Sports Initiative programs, a youth program focused on promoting fitness through triathlon training in 1992. In 1998, he co founded Team Dream an adult organization that introduces women of color to the sport of triathlons. Also in 2020, due to the midst of the pandemic, when gyms were closed, pools were closed, a lot of group fitness were not able to gather, he formed SEALS Team. The purpose of SEALS Team was for members to learn the fundamentals of open water swimming, safety, and advanced training needed to compete in open water competitions, including triathlons. Bernard has dedicated his life to fitness, individually, as well as instructing others, adults, as well as kids. He wants to leave a legacy, even when he's gone, to promote fitness, particularly the sports of triathlon, to promote well-being. Many of his students due to participate in his program, have gone on to help with his program. One student who had the desire to become a physician is now a doctor, and she actually was a physician um, who volunteered at Kona World Championship. He's been invited to many graduations. He's kept a lot of kids focused, and it also helped with their academics and helped keep them alive and stay out of trouble, out of gangs, and in the street where bad things happen. Bernard Laos is to be commended for his generosity, for his passion, for his tenacity. He doesn't get much support from grants. He goes out and just gets things done with the help of friends in the community, past participants. He's continued this program for 31 years. And he needs all of our help to continue. So your kids, grandkids, future generations can continue on the legacy 
of fitness through the sport of triathlon. Please welcome Bernard Lyles to the program. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I appreciate you taking your time um, to join me today. I've been anxious to to do this uh, episode. So tell me, how did you get involved in sports? Were you active as a child? Nope, not at all. Just the regular kid stuff. But with this endurance sports that I'm involved with now, I never imagined I would even do a one mile, less known 26 and triathlons and all these things that I'm doing. I just got involved with this. When I was 28, I got involved with running. So what made you start running? I had tried it once before. And, you know, I did one mile run with a guy, a friend of mine, but I never had done it before. And then I just, you know, eliminated that. I'm, I I can't do this. <laughs> wow. What made you think you couldn't do it? <laughs> I did the one mile and, it was, you know, I just never did anything like that before. And I just dismissed it after that. I just can't. I, this is not me. But it happened that I had um, some time on my hands. I lost a job back in 1980, and I had a lot of time on my hands. I used to see people running on the lakefront all the time on my way to work. And, you know, so since I got this time in between jobs, I thought I would fight off this depression that I got going now and get out and do a run. And my first run was to be from my house where I lived in South Shore, like 71st. And uh, so it was close to the lakefront. I ran over the lakefront. And my mission was to get down to the Museum of Science and Industry. I made it down there, mm-hmm. 57th Street. Mm-hmm. But now I never thought about the getting back. <laughs> How long is that from, from South Shore? About a mile or so? Uh, from where from, I was living on 72nd and Chappelle. That took me. Um, Probably two miles. Two miles. Maybe okay. a little better than two miles. But, yeah, you know, I never really thought about it. You know, I felt so good about getting down there that the return was a little hard. So did you run back or did you walk I, back? I walked, ran, walked, ran, walked, ran. Okay. But what I found out was all the depression and the whole thing about me losing my job and all that mm-hmm. stress and stuff, I wasn't even thinking about that at that point. Mm-hmm. So running was kind of like it was therapeutic at that point. It was cheaper than therapy. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I was out there on uh, a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So you started running by yourself at the, uh, were you running with? I was running by myself. Okay. And then I ran into some guy. I saw this guy had this real nice jersey on. It had a, a red emblem, Stony Island Runners. They had a running club that started up there. It's, it's Jesse Owen Park now, but it was Stony Island Park. So. I was see him on the lakefront. I stopped him one day, and he told me all about the club. And he's a real nice guy. So it ends up that he started running with me on a daily basis. So now I got a chance to get out and be with somebody. And the next thing I know, he was telling me about these events, races that he go to. And it just happened to be one coming up at La Rabita. Okay. And I, it was a 10K run from La Rabita Hospital down to 55th around the point and back. Okay. I did that, and that was so much fun. I didn't know you can have so much fun early in the morning like that. <laughs> and a crowd of people, and, you know, they have refreshments and all this and that after that. And, and it still was, wasn't even 9 o'clock when we finished that. So yeah, all this good excitement in the early in the morning, I never thought about it. And, again, that was another stress reliever and uh, avenues into running. 
So did you get a medal for that first? They didn't race? have medals then. Okay. <laughs> that was before medals. That was before medals. Yeah, that was way before. <laughs> <laughs> you had a, a, a actually had a manual timing. They had like these little uh, thing they put the little time watches or whatever, like you do on the watch. track. No, these was like strips of paper. Oh, okay. With numbers on them. So when you come in, they, they record your number, and you, you know, they do it manually. There's no no chip okay. time and none of that stuff at that point. This was like okay. 1981, so no chip timing, no medals, none of that stuff. But it was still a lot of fun, and I learned about uh, running and running shoes. I, I didn't have running shoes. I had Earth Walkers. Mm-hmm. I'm out there running in those things, and I'm looking around at everybody else. They had on these uh, running shoes, or you know what they had back then? Sears joggers. Serious joggers. That's the shoes. They looked like running shoes. They those were very popular then. Those before Saucony and Nike and New Balance. Were they like canvas or they were like like running shoes? They, they, like they, we were running kind of like uh, yeah, kind of canvas and you know hard hard sole. They had a sole that we have now, but they were okay. better than what I had. You know. Okay. Okay. I looked like a runner then. Looked more like a runner. <laughs> I'm the only one around here with these Earthwalker shoes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it was comfortable, but it's all good. So, uh, but anyway, I, yeah, I got into the running, and I, I just got to enjoying it. And um, the running again was therapeutic. And then I would sign up for another race, and mm-hmm. I just got all involved in this. So you were hooked. Yeah, I got hooked after that first one, and then I started running um, ten milers. Mm-hmm. And then you know, the people were talking about the marathon, the marathon, the Chicago marathon. Mm-hmm. And I found out some of the guys that were in the Stony Island Running Club, they was doing doing these marathons. And one boy, 20 miles, I told, asked him, where did he go? He went down from Stony Island Park down to Pass Soldier Field to Randolph mm-hmm. and Randolph back. I couldn't believe he did that. And so, you know, I joined the club. Now I started training for the marathon. I figure out if I do a half, I see what the half is all about. And that's what I did. I did my first half in 82. Uh, early 82 so you know that was that was pretty good so i'll see what half this merit at least i thought what half would be about and then the fall of 82 i ran my first marathon okay chicago I ran chicago marathon okay. those that stony island group they trained me hard they a lot of a lot of brothers and sisters too but them brothers they had been running all the time and a lot of them ran in college and they man they were distance runners and uh they they trained me hard but you know, I stuck with it, and all you know. Sometimes the last one back, but that's okay. I got back. <laughs> yeah, that's what counts. <laughs> so I ran my first marathon uh, in 1982. Mm-hmm. I did it, with, and with the club, you'll have a member pick you up at the 20 mile mark and run the last six with you. Okay. So they had that set all up. So I, you know, got to my 20, got my with my partner, and. That's when all the drama came on after the 20 miles, <laughs> cramps. You hit the wall. All that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff like that. But we made it in, and my first marathon was four hours flat. That was good. Four hours flat, and um, we were the last ones on the TV telecast. They had a telecast that went for four hours. We were the last ones on there. And mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to see it because I was at, you know, by the time I made it home, and, uh, man. I- Did they get they give you a medal for the marathon? <laughs> no medal? Medals didn't come out to the probably Medals <laughs> came out, I think, in 19, I think, like, 85. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they look like those little badges that you put on or the medals that the uh, soldiers put on. 
mm-hmm. the brown thing with the yeah. <laughs> okay. Was, I still got one. I still got it too. Okay. Was, those were the medals, but uh, the thing about it, I ran. I ran a four-hour marathon, and um, it was you know the next couple of days I was sore and all that stuff like that. But I was like, that's impressive for your first one. I've never won a four-hour. Really, four I was marathon. excited about the whole thing. I was excited. Six weeks later, I ran Hinsdale Marathon. And I ran six weeks later, six weeks you later. didn't you didn't rest. No, six weeks later, I was at Hinsdale Marathon. I ran that in three hours and twenty minutes. Wow, that's impressive. Yep, I'll never forget because I had some guys that we all re- rode up in the car together, and I know those guys. They run hard and they run fast, and I'm you know trying to convince them. You know, uh, after the run is over, you know we just stick around and have something, get together and drink or whatever. They're like, no, nah, burn, we got to get out of here. And like, oh man, they gonna leave me out here. <laughs> Come to end up, man. I I caught one of them. Um, mm-hmm. It was we ran and it's about the twenty mile on the other side of the expressway. I saw him from the other side. We was on one side of the expressway. I, I could see the because the course goes around there. I saw him and I ran up on him. I, mean, I couldn't believe it. This guy Ed. I passed him up and I went on in. And I made it in that three hours and twenty minutes. I left one of the four guys out there. <laughs> so I was wow. thinking they weren't gonna leave me at, at the site. So after that, I was just hooked on that running. I see you run over, what, 40 marathons? Is that right? I've run total now 40 marathons. That includes, I did Chicago eight times. I did mm-hmm. Boston nine times. Wow. Okay. New York, uh, San Francisco, New York, Minnesota, St. Louis. I did St. Louis about four times because they had a spring and a fall marathon. Oh, one okay. was Gateway Athletics. They controlled that one. And then the St. Louis Track Club, they did the one in the fall, I think it was, yeah. So those were two rough marathons. But I ended up getting 40 marathons at this point. I did my last one in 2016. That was in Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock. That was hilly. That was pretty hilly. Yeah, and that was the, that year that it got cold. And cold yeah, crazy cold. weather. Yeah, we couldn't even get back home. <laughs> Yeah, I heard about it. And your personal record at what, 254? 254, 31, yeah. That's impressive. That year I went under twice because they had a Lake County Marathon in mm-hmm. April. I did 259 and 31 seconds. Wow. Yeah, starting in April. So that, that year, 1985, I was setting PRs and I was I was burning them up. I was getting them weird. <laughs> so how did you progress to from doing mar- running to doing triathlons? Triathlons, uh, based mm-hmm. on training for the marathon, I ended up with a stress fracture on my left shin. So I couldn't really run on it because I had started, you know, running on it. And then I started taking Advils and stuff like that before the run just to keep the pain down. No, you don't need to do that. No. <laughs> I'm so no. hooked on this running. <laughs> so what year was that? You had a stress fracture. That was before I broke those off. Uh, things yeah because I, I did the first triathlon in 1983 okay so you started pretty early yeah i did okay. my first triathlon in 1983 which was a sprint distance triathlon but it was fun but after that you know just like with running i started progressing to the distances of the tries so i i was doing um internationals and my whole thing was I tried to keep those under three hours, doing 235. I think 235, 237 was my best international distance or, or Olympic distance triathlon. So I was pretty good at that, too. Was it hard to progress to triathlons where you were adequate, I guess, swimmer? I guess most people know how to ride a bike, but I know a lot of particularly African-Americans, people of color, 
don't have a great swimming background. Right. The swimming background, you know, I, I got better at it because my first one, when I went to the triathlon, I was scared to death. I saw the course from the highway. I went to Hobart, Indiana. I saw the course from the highway. It had a lot of inner tubes strung out through there. But when I got down to the site, it looked even further. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I got to go all the way down there. And then there was a girl standing next to me. She said, oh, we have to go down there and come back. I'm like, oh, my God. That was on a, that was on a Friday. I picked up my race package. The race is on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Man, I didn't sleep Friday night or Saturday night. I was scared. <laughs> <You're> scared. <laughs> but I, I showed up Sunday, and I thought I was the only black guy, but it's one other kid there. Mm-hmm. Man, we latched on like we knew each other all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, when we got ready for the swim, you know, it lined up. And when the gun went off, it just went for it. And I was out of the water in like 17 minutes, so it wasn't too bad. It was a six-tenths of a mile swim. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, so okay. I was out there in 17 minutes. So how did you prepare for the, the swimming? Were you taking lessons? Did you kind of teach yourself? I know some people just like look at videos and stuff. We used to go swimming in the lake all the time and messing around. And, and then, you know, I tried some stuff in the pool. One time I was training to be a lifeguard. Okay. So, you know. Picked up a little more swim, but I never swam competitive. But you knew how to swim from when you were a kid or when you were adult when you learned how? Uh, yeah, I was still a kid and teenager because I was trying to uh, get me a lifeguard job. Okay, okay. Some background, but no distance swimming with a whole lot of people. And no open water. Open water and all that stuff like that. Only open water, we would jump in the lake and jump back out. Really? <laughs> go too far. No, it don't go too far out there. <laughs> that lake can get you, boy. No, I want. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that was my first real open water experience, and that was fun. So once I got out the water, I was good to go. Yeah. And so, um, uh, my biking was decent, but I was a runner. We, I passed up all them people that beat me out the water or beat me on the bike. I passed a bunch of them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I won a prize. The first fifty people won a prize. I was number forty-four. Okay. So what prize did they give you? They, I won a. A tank top, a Leon's triathlon tank top, and a cap. Okay, so they still weren't giving that medals. <laughs> uh, no medals. <laughs> and I had a leather helmet. I didn't know I had needed a helmet. When I got there, I didn't even have a helmet. And the guy said, Leon said, you need to have a helmet. And so, you know, I didn't know. So he said, go on the trail in there. They had a trailer on site. And tell my mom, I said, uh, give you a helmet. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what he did. Gave me a look. It's a leather helmet. A leather, leather helmet? helmet, yeah. They had leather helmets right back there. Black leather helmet with the little mm-hmm. vents, like, and that's that was the style then. Mm, yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, told me, keep the helmet, pay me whenever you can. He's real nice enough. So I had a real nice experience at the first triathlon. And that was my way of advancing because some of the guys in the running club, mm-hmm. I would pick them off every race. I would see somebody finish in front of me. And next week, mm-hmm. I, you know, I threatened them, next time, we, I'm going to get you. And I got so far up the ladder that there's some guy that I just wasn't going to beat. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I go lateral mm-hmm. on them. I go triathlon on them. Okay. A lot of them don't want no parts of that water. Yeah, I don't and blame so them. <laughs> I, I was still the man <laughs> in the group. So you're very competitive. Yeah, yeah. All my competitiveness came out. And then uh, back to my depression and all that stuff, things started leveling off. I got me a good job. One of the guys 
referred me to a friend and I got me a job. I was on the road, man. I was good to go. And um, the marathon, that was one arena that I had a lot of good friends. I met a lot of good Mm -hmm. people, got my first sponsorships and great. It was great all the way to the end. Like over 200 triathlons. Yeah, I've done over 200 triathlons. So what's your favorite race? If you like your most memorable race, either from just running or triathlons, what would you say? I like the triathlon, actually. I like like which which race? Like I, like which one like stands out? The, 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 when I did the World Championship Ironman in Kona. Now tell me about that. Okay, that was the um in 1998. They had the uh, 20th anniversary of the Ironman, and I was invited to come. You a VIP? A better than that, I guess, because all I do is say <laughs> yes. And I was over there. Hey, that's wonderful. They flew me in, everything. I, they put me up 18 days. I was in Hawaii. I was in Hawaii before some of the pros got there. No worries. And nice. I was there after most of them left. <laughs> so you had a good time. How, tell me about the race. I heard it was very challenging from the swim to the finish oh, line. Oh, man. You, that <laughs> Ironman in Kona is world championship is an understatement. That mm-hmm. is the toughest. I mean, might not be the toughest Iron Man now, but it was it's tough out there on that course. Uh the two point four mile swim, that was nice and it probably the most refreshing part of the day. Really? It, it was pretty good. It's not choppy or anything? Uh it had surge to it. But you mm-hmm. know, early in the morning is when the race starts. So the later the day the more the surge. Mm-hmm. So it had enough surge in it to make it look competitive but not where it's dangerous for it was like and that, that race is 1,556 people. i never forget. That, that was the number, 1,556 in the 20th anniversary. And uh, so we got out to swim. We got on the bikes. Out there in those lava fields, man, it's hot. And we were climbing, climbing, mm. climbing, and, and the wind in your face. So it's hot and windy. Hot and windy. And you're climbing. And when you got down by the airport, it's a trade wind that comes through. That mm-hmm. trade wind blowing people off the bikes. Wow. Lightweights. Yeah. Man, they yeah. been blown off. And them disc wheels, too. Yeah, I saw bikes on the side of the highway. I was trying to figure out what happened with that. So it got so bad, I clicked out on one side so I can balance just in case I get blew off. Hmm. And wow. we we got down to, like, almost to the, it wasn't almost to the turnaround. We had 18 miles. It's a hobby is the turnaround. 18 mm-hmm. miles of hobby, I saw that sign. I almost cried. You so happy? I can't, no, I can't do 18 more miles of this. Oh, oh you were around. like, no, okay. okay. <laughs> I can't do 18 more miles before I turn around. But I made it down to the turnaround, and I got had your lunch bag down there. Get your lunch bag. And I'd never forget, I'd ride on my, just look downhill, coast, turnaround, that lasted for about three minutes. Before you pack in mm-hmm. that wind and stuff like that. I was laying on my arrow bar eating my sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch up with some more of these bikers some kind of way. <laughs> so uh, it was rough. I caught a flat around 90 miles. Oh, no. Yeah. And I, I got off. I had such a bad headache, too. I think it was because the heat and the altitude mm-hmm. was a rough day. I had a headache. So the officials rolled up on me. And they, you know, try to see what's going on. They had to write me up and all that stuff while I'm fixing the flat tire. You know, I asked them if they had any Advil or something like that. They had to write that up, too, because they had to give me some medication. medication, gave me the Advil, and I was back on my bike in 10 minutes flat, and I was gone. 
Okay. Finally got back to the transition with that bike. I don't care if I never see that bike no more. <laughs> if that bike was that rough. That was the run. I had a hundred before, but never a hundred and twelve. On the run, we I got them on that run. <laughs> I did four thirty six in my in my triathlon run. Wow. After that, a hundred and twelve mile bike in the two point four swim. Yeah, I was glad to get off that bike and go for that run. <laughs> And I cleaned it like, like, just like always. Uh, it ain't over till you do the run. And I was a runner. My background was in running. I ran past a lot of people that passed me on the bikes. I mean, there's so many guys that I knew that I passed up. And I, you know, I made it back in 15 hours and one minute. If I hadn't had to flat out, it went under 15 for that one. That's impressive. Yep. I'll never forget Mike Adamley, devil from Channel 5. Mike mm-hmm. Adamley, we rode together. When I saw him in the uh, before the race, he said, "Oh, Bernard, I heard you was coming." So we got together like we buddy. We from Chicago. We represent. <laughs> we had a good time. He so passed me on time. the bike, so that means I beat him out of the swim. So he passed me on the bike, and he got in on the run like nine minutes before me. Wow! So if, if I didn't have that flat tire, we probably came in together. Same time, which was a big accomplishment because Mike Abney ain't no punk man. He's been in football and he's star athlete all over the place. <laughs> and I figured, and and another thing about that, we did that year. I almost died from L- leptospirosis. Yeah, I heard about that. That was from a, a race in Springfield. Or? Yes, I was training for the Ironman, so I was gonna do like four halves that season before I go to Kona. And Springfield, it wasn't actually a half, but you know it was pretty close. We picked up the virus in that water. This is like. I think maybe about 700 people in the race and about five over 500 or something got some kind of part of that virus and sickness and all kind of things happening to people. People had fought it off with antibiotics. Some had, somebody mm-hmm. had the gallbladder taken out, found out. Mm-hmm. And then I almost died from that stuff because my fever got so bad. Mm-hmm. How long were you in the hospital? I was in Roseland Hospital for five days in intensive care. And then I think thinking about two more days. I was a, I was in there total almost eight days. And that was right before Kona. Yeah, when I got out of the hospital, I had ten weeks to be in Kona. Okay. <laughs> Everybody said you still going to Hawaii? I'm like, yeah, I'm going. In season five, we will continue the segment as the doc. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal health, please email me. Send me a message via social media or click on my website and leave an audio message. Select messages will be answered on the segment. So you recovered like after that with no kind of problems? Uh, yeah, you're never the same. I was weak because, you know, we my temperature had went up so high. I don't remember all this stuff, but, you know, my friend that came to the hospital with me, Mm-hmm. And she didn't really want to talk about it because I was going through these convulsions and whatever. Seizures, Seizures and, stuff. and stuff. Yeah, they had to put me in an ice bath. They put the fans mm-hmm. on me, get my temperature down. Because even when I uh, I woke up the next day in the hospital, the doctor mm-hmm. came in there and he's looking at his chart and he's looking at me. And he's like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> wow. He said, because after 107, they don't usually have nobody to talk to. Oh, wow. You got up to 107? I was at 109. Oh my God. Yeah, they say after 107, they don't usually have nobody to talk to. And so, you know, mm. they, they based it on, um, I was in shape, but they couldn't find out what was going on. They 
did spinal tap. They did every, they did everything to me in that hospital. And they ended up talking about heat stroke. <laughs> so they didn't know real originally know that it was from the um leptospirosis. They didn't know. They didn't know. They found out the health department found out about three, four weeks later. Mm-hmm. What it, they narrowed it down. Because we even went to a uh, Bally's had a triathlon up in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, the following week after Springfield, mm-hmm. and everybody went up there, and I went up there. You know, I was registered, but when I got up there, we I started feeling funny when I went to pick up my race bag. I started feeling cold. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe because we went up here in this atmosphere, it changed. You know, mm-hmm. we went to check in. I got my pack. I said, "Let's go. You know, go to the restaurant. I want to get me something hot to drink or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's hot stuff, but you know." About an hour later, I started deteriorating real bad. I started sick. Mm. I was cold and hot at the same time. No, you got fevers and chills. Yeah. And uh, we talked to uh, the people in the hotel that let me in the room real early and everything. I crashed out on the bed. I sweated that whole bed out. And then um, later on, I had to go check my bike in. I, I got up and got myself together, go check my bike in. I figured if I get something to eat, then I'll be okay. And then you know, check my bike in and I'll be ready. So we did that. But man... Late on that night, it, it hit me again. And my friend, she couldn't figure out what to do. So she just went and got some Advil. Then mm-hmm. I sweated it out. But the next morning when I got up, I knew it right there. I never couldn't make a race. but I, I You know, you, you're like, yeah, I need to go to the hospital. I can't do this. Hmm, I'm glad you did go to the hospital. I went down to the race site and I just sat down. Everybody was wondering, what, the, what you going on, Bernard? I don't feel good. I don't feel good. Then everybody thought they got the virus out of Springfield because a lot of the people, I mean, out of Wisconsin, because a lot of the same athletes were there. They got sick. That was in Springfield. They got sick. So so how did they figure out that Springfield, the, the water had this? I heard that's rare, that whole. Because of, uh, um, they said like in the third world countries, the cattle and people, everybody share the same water. And that's mm-hmm. when they usually have something like that. So I know the night before, they did storm. They figured it stormed and all it, everything just washed out. They didn't check the water. No, they didn't ever check water at that point. No. Okay. After that, that's when the, all the water checks start coming in. Oh, that's when they go crazy and people be like, okay, is it, the race going to go on? Is it, right. Is it? <laughs> yeah. right. They start checking water. After that. Okay. Right? Because hmm. even they, they wrote me up in the triathlete magazine and the whole thing was about water worries. Mm-hmm. That was the whole title of the article, water worries. And then they had a, a little section in there with me. My experience with the leptospirosis and being broke, bored alive. My thing was called bored alive. <laughs> mm. Oh my God. Yeah. That's scary though. But then they found it. Yeah. The health department found out about three weeks later, they narrowed it down to it happened in Springfield. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Eventually they had a class action lawsuit and everything too. Who did they sue? The city? Or the, um... Uh, they USA triathlon and. Oh, really? Okay. And, uh, the guy that's the race director, I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't really want to be involved. Cause mm-hmm. I know it wasn't his fault. Plus, I was the only, like, black athlete there. And me, me and the race director, we were good friends. And it was cool. It ain't yeah. his fault, you know. And I, so, I didn't want to be part of this, but. Because that's why they had so many people involved in races. Like, because, you know, because there's a whole bunch of different factors involved to putting on a race for athlete safety. Yep, yep. Athlete safety and water worry. So, <clears throat> yeah. So, that was my big worst experience with the triathlon is um, going through the leptospirosis and at the same time I got myself together to be in Kona well see you probably would have did a lot better yeah. if you didn't have that whole experience yeah I would have been stronger 
Because you know Susan Rogers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Susan was my kind of my medical advisor. Mm-hmm. I got out the hospital with her and you know, mm-hmm. I stayed in the hospital about two days and I had to get out. I gotta get out and get some work done. I'm going to Hawaii. <laughs> I got out there. So what did Susan, Susan say? She called me. <laughs> she said, But now you know better. Blah blah blah. She got on my case so bad. And then when I got home, she's on my answer machine too. <laughs> <laughs> I had to hide out then. I had to make sure to get out there real early or I had to go somewhere else and train. So you were supposed to be resting. See, Susan was looking out for I you. I was supposed to be recovering. Mm-hmm. I get ready again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what prompted you to uh, create TriMasters in Chicago? Uh, the kids, you know, I tried sharing this this whole ex- TriMasters ex- uh, triathlon experience with some more adults. I started a uh, adult team because... You started adult first before the kids? I met the original TriMaster that came out of New York. I met them in uh, 1990. They came out of New York. And I went to the Chicago Triathlon, and I saw this group of black and Hispanic, and they was in the first wave and everything. Well, you know, I didn't know nothing about this, because usually when somebody or, or a black person get involved in a triathlon, you know, I know a little something about it. I hear something. I didn't know nothing about it. And I found out who they were, and the guy that started it, his name is Alvin Hartley. Alvin wasn't racing, but his whole team was racing. They had sponsors. Mm-hmm. They had, like, Burger King was their sponsor. And then Pan Am was flying them. Pan Am was flying still then. Wherever Pan Am fly, wherever the triathlon, they was going. They said, Bernard, you'll be with us next year. And that's what I did. I got with them. But mm-hmm. I started a Chicago chapter. Okay. So I wrestled up, you know, 10, 15 people. That I knew that some of them can swim, some of them want to try to triathlon, and some of them, you know, from our running club. But trying to keep them motivated and trying to keep them going, and, you know, it, it got kind of difficult. They weren't motivated, or they just was just. Um... Some scared, some not motivated, some never available, and, you know, all those things like that. So I still president of the, I was president of the Rainbow Runners Club at that time. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You know how you run with people all the time and you conversations mm-hmm. come up. Yeah. So I think I must have mentioned that I was trying to start a program where I can train some kids. You know, I'm trying to share this sport. And that I had tried to uh, do it at the health club where I was at High Park Racket Club for 47. Mm-hmm. I was there. Mm-hmm. I tried to talk to the people over there about, you know, the, uh, you know my whole idea of this. And they want a proposal. I don't know nothing about no proposal. I just got Great mm-hmm. idea. I want to share this with some, you know, kids. And then uh, I tried the YMCA at 63rd, can't get in to mm-hmm. see the director and, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. But by me running with who who ended up being the president of Chicago State, Dr. Dolores Cross, she, I must have mentioned it to her a couple of times. One day I got a call from her office to come and meet with her. And I, I, I went to the Chicago State and I met with her. And she said, can you really put on a a program for youth? And, it, you know, it wasn't no time to say no. <laughs> <laughs> you like, yeah, I uh-huh. can do it. <laughs> and she, she told me she had this grant for like $10,000 uh, from Chicago Community Trust. And she wanted to, you know, use it to start up, you know, if I could do this, a pilot program for kids in the triathlon sport. And that's what I did. So the next week she got the athletic director and legal and a couple other vice presidents, whatever, together in her conference room. 
and figured out how we could actually legally do this on campus. Okay. And they worked it out and had all the forms and stuff for the parents to fill out. So I got the $10,000 to use. I bought 10 bicycles. I, I hired two lifeguards and a couple of other tribe masters that was in my adult thing. They came out to help me, you know, put this thing together. And we just went off the cuff with it. So where'd you get the kids? Man, everybody got kids. But <laughs> what happened was, this was in late July. So all the kids, mostly in, they in, uh, in summer programs already. So I hustled up kids. This one grandmother, I promised her, when I, you know, I visualized this whole thing. We, I visualized I'm going to have this program. One day I'm going to show you a sometime article where I had this. It scares me now because I visualized it and it came true. I'm going to have this program for you. And I had told this one grandmother that yeah, I knew she had like five kids. You know, grandma would take care of all the kids. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. She got five. You don't want to call them bad, but they is bad. <laughs> <laughs> and she's trying to do her best with them. And so I told her, I said, Miss Randall, I'm taking, I'm going I'm to put them in my program when I get started. So I got, when I got to finally got the program, I went to her and I got her five kids. There's some people on campus. Their kids wasn't involved in nothing. Okay. Yeah, so I got those. So you was hustling, finding kids. <laughs> yeah. Okay, 30. Yeah, and we just went off the cuff with it because we had the authorization of the president's office, which opened up a lot of doors around there that was all closed. And people were like, what's going on here? Who authorized this? And blah, blah, blah. Really? Yeah. And don't be bringing those bikes in there. What are y'all doing? This is running through the president's office. Oh, man, what I say that for? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> doors start opening up. These were, you know, we could store our stuff. Everything was popping open on us. <laughs> okay. And we put it together. So, um, And this was in 1992? Yep, 1992. So um, in the middle of the training, you know, I had an office. I had an office in special events, and uh, public affairs was in the same office area. And so they knew about it. In fact, one of the ladies, one of the guys in public affairs, his son was in the program. So they put out a press release. Okay. Chicago State is uh, sending 30 kids to the Chicago Kids Triathlon. And so they wrote it up in the Sun-Times and a couple of uh, local newspapers. But then Muriel Clear came out from Channel 9 News. And she interviewed me, interviewed the kids. And then the following week, they came to the race and they filmed kids racing. Put it all together for this. Remember this TV segment used to come off for kids' sake. She put it off for kids' sake on WGN News. It's a five-minute thing. I still got it on my websites and stuff like that. When you see that thing, you'll cry because you see the kids training, you hear their interviews, and then you see them racing. Two things about that film is when one of the kids he broke it down because he was scared to swim. Very clear, say. Are you going to continue to try? And then he broke it down. He said, that's what we're here for. Try master. Try to learn how to be the master of what we do. <laughs> okay. I, all right. <laughs> that was Willie. That's one of the grandmother's bad kids. I'm like, I can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. He drove me to tears when he said that. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> he broke it down. I couldn't have did no better. He sure did. Down. Like he, you like you coached him on that yeah, one too. He, he, he coached me that time, <laughs> <laughs> and so he broke it down. But then the highlight of the whole thing is when the one of the kids finished, 
After he finished, he ran straight to his mama. He was wow. <laughs> we he had he had fell on the bike. Oh, <laughs> but you know he was on that mission. He's like you wind. He's like I'm gonna finish. <laughs> started arm up. He got up and he kept on going. And when he finished the run, he just ran straight to his mm-hmm. mama. He was hugging on her. No, <laughs> she was hugging. You did it. You did it. But that boy's name is Chris. Chris was one of the. Again, you don't want to call kids bad, but he's always in the summer. I'm like, Chris, leave us alone. Chris, stop. Chris, do this. Don't do that, Chris. Chris turned out to be one of my best athletes. Really? <laughs> and then another one, mm-hmm. Malin, man, he wore those kids out in that triathlon. He ended up on the, they had the sports section in the Tribune. Mm-hmm. He's on mm-hmm. the front page of the sports section in color, leading the pack. <laughs> I got a big old poster. I wish you was on video. I can show you the big poster with Nathan leading the pack. And now he has his own endurance sports business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he teaches people endurance sports, all them crazy things, muddy buddies and all them crazy kind of races. That's mm-hmm. what he do. Okay. <laughs> and his mother sweat. He learned all that stuff from me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. So that's how I got the kids thing going. It, it just went from there. Okay. So a lot of success stories, a lot of good kids came through the program. So again, over the 30 years, a lot, a lot of great success stories out of it. Yeah. So you're like the OG in the multi-sports world, an ambassador in the sports of triathlon, particularly with inspiring young people to get involved in the sport. That's what they say. I'm the ambassador. Yes, yeah, you are. <laughs> you are. Because I know when I was a kid, I didn't even know what triathlons were. Let alone trying to, and I couldn't swim either, trying to compete. <laughs> right. Yep. So, uh, and, and based on that too, now, I'm, you know my son, Terrence, so I'm so proud of Terrence, what he's doing, continuing to bring more minorities, black people into the sport of running. Now he's done his first. Yeah. He showed out on his first race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I'm finna, you know, I've been there, done that. So I'm trying to just encourage more and keep him rolling. Now he's uh, he's on a roll. He's got the men running these streets and black Chicago runners. And now he's doing this triathlon. And he's motivating and inspiring people. So I'm happy about all of the work that I put into it and, you know, that I've inspired along the way <clears throat> that are involved in it. Because back to the day, I was the only black person out there. So now I see it. And now, you know, I give women a lot of credit, too, because the women, over the last 10 years, women been stepping up. Yeah, getting involved in, in doing sports and winning races and, and now in the triathlon, our women. I'm very proud and very happy to see them involved in it. I know I read about one of your kids said she was going to be a doctor and she well, she raced, but she actually ended up being one of the physicians at Kona. Yep. Ryan, I think it was. Ryan, she came to me when she was nine years old. She had a swimming background. She's with the Chicago South swim team. But, you know, she wanted to look more than that. So she learned triathlon, and she was good. She got to be good. She got to be a real good runner. She got so good that she was winning at the triathlons all the time. And another pro triathlete, Lauren Jensen, kind of picked up on it and started training with Ryan and gave Ryan a real nice bike to ride and everything. Ryan was killing them. But at the same time, she's always, you know, everything she said she's going to do, she was on it. 
She said she's going to be a doctor. She ended up being that doctor. For real. But along the way, she won races that uh, she, in fact, she won one of the uh, sprint races, Chicago. And then she had to go, we had to get some sponsorship to get her out to Oceanside, California to okay. defend her championship. <laughs> yeah, we take it around all over the place and she was, she was winning. So she became a, yeah, she became a doctor. And I was so proud of her becoming a doctor and ending up being a physician at the Ironman World Championships in the tent. So a lot of the pros, I, I knew them. I was introducing them to Ryan. Dave Scott, I introduced him to Ryan. He was so impressed too because, you know, Dave is the six-time world champion. I was, mm-hmm. I knew all these guys, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Susan Lashaw, Wendy Ingram, all of them. I knew all the OG pros. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so they, they, were, they were impressed with it too because they knew about my program. Some of them supported me in the program. And um, they was like, wow, that is incredible. So, yeah, Ryan is one of my many success stories. Okay, I bet. So over the years, have other programs started as a result of your program, like in other cities? Uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been some other programs now. Uh, minority based programs are still a few, but you know other kids programs are up. But ours is unique because we're we're a Chicago based inner city, and we were the first, pretty much, that it brought minority kids into the mix. So where do you get most of your funding? Grants, individual, or combination? <laughs> Begging, okay. <laughs> you might get a letter too, Weeder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of it came from, you know, our friends or athletes that I, I met along the way. They read about me and they, they, they're glad to support. So I would just send them a letter, you know, ask for their support. Some of them will send you $100. Some send you 50 Some send you 5 Some send you 1000 I built my little network up, and then I'm, I might get a hit from here on a sponsorship, hit get a, a little small grant from there, you know, piece together. But I never really had the really needed sponsorship, you know, like a three to five year commitment of dollars in equipment. I never had that. So, by the grace of God, we just man, every year we piece it together and make it happen. Okay, I mean, you get more and more kids every year. Seems like a little more uh, for the program because we have more kids. Again, send those letters out to my friends. This was all before social media, too. Send those letters out, and they would send money. But now social media, I might throw a Facebook fundraiser out there, get a little money. So, But that's not a way to really have a program because, again, by the grace of God, I made it through. While I was at Chicago State, I had everything that I needed. I had an office. I had storage space. I had all the facilities. I didn't have to pay no fees and stuff like that. But now that I'm pressed out there, you know, things are expensive. Oh, yeah. And we've been piecing it together, too, by the support of uh, athletes and friends and small hits. So now, after 30 years, I'm trying to transition over, put one of my head coaches in charge of the day-to-day activities. And I'm going to get out there and be the ambassador and get that money. Okay. Yeah, you you are an ambassador for the sport. Everybody knows you. (laughs) (laughs) And get that money for our program. So I'm on the lead of a couple of different uh, foundations. You know, I did our paperwork, Mm -hmm. man, which spin my head because filling out those foundation paperwork and stuff like that, man, I never had to go through all that. 
or you know high projections and outcomes and budgets and all that stuff. We never had all that. We piece the things together. <laughs> Bottom line, to get the job done. Yeah, that's what counts. Tell me about your team dream that you started in um, 1998 that you co-founded. Oh yeah, team dream. That was our first and only women's only triathlon team. We got approached by um, Sally Edwards, who's an Ironman triathlete. She was the founder of Fleet Feet. Sally was an Ironman triathlete. Again, founder of Fleet Feet, and she's the author of books and all that stuff. She's, she makes money off of that whole sport thing. Her and a lady, I can't think of the name. She's from uh, Lycra, DuPont Lycra. They came to us because they wanted to have this team of women. And they was going to stay sponsored it. But they said they let us pick the women. So we picked, we wanted a uh, minority team. So they like, yeah, that's what, that, yeah, let's do that. Minority team. So we, again, Derek Milligan, he pretty much put the team together while I worked in logistics with Sally. And I, I can't think of the other lady. And I can see her face, but I can't think of her name right now. We put all the logistics together to try to get this thing together. So again, we ended up with about, 15, 15 or 18 participants. And we had Olympic champion Willie White on our team. Yeah, Willie White was on our team. <laughs> so we did that. And um, our first triathlon was up there in Pleasant Prairie. Okay. Where we took all the girls and we made history. We made history. Everybody there was so excited to see this black women's team up there competing. And then, you know, by Sally and, uh, the lady from DuPont, mm -hmm. you know, putting the word out there, the media and stuff like that, boosted up the whole thing. When we showed up, man, it was on. Yeah. And it went from there. Ryan was part of that team, too. <laughs> so we had Ryan on the team, uh, Willie White, and a bunch of girls from the neighborhood. <laughs> the SEALs team, was that a spinoff of the Dream Team or was it separate? That's a separate thing. That's something we started during the pandemic. Some of the girls approached me. They wanted to learn open water swimming. And, you know, everybody bored, couldn't do nothing. The lakefront was locked down, too, pretty much. But by being locked down, nobody was out there. <laughs> so we were able to go open water swimming at 57th Street Beach. So, yeah, they asked me to be the coach. And uh, Terry Solomon and a few other ones, yeah, they convinced me to be the coach, and we just put, we just started putting it up, putting it together. And somehow, Triathlete Magazine found out about it, and they interviewed us, and they put us on online magazine. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I saw that article. Yes, Susan, Susan Lackey, I think. Yeah, what to do during the pandemic. Started Triathlete, uh, open water team. That was great. So we're now three years into it, and we've got Quite a few women introduced to the water, open water swimming, and they were able to do the super sprint triathlon for the last couple of years. Okay. So now some of them, are, a couple of them, are going to do the sprint this year. Okay, they dance. Yep. So we're we're into the third year of the uh, Terry Solomon named the Seals team. Okay. Okay, I like yeah, that. Seals team. <laughs> so I'm just the head coach of Seals team. <laughs> okay. So what do you personally feel is like the greatest obstacle in 
preventing people of color from participating in triathlons? Do you think swimming, biking, expense, or a combination of all? Um, of swimming first, because a lot of people have that fear of water, and it's not that we can't swim; it's because we don't have access to the facilities. We don't have them. We have very few in our community. True. And the ones that we had, like in the high schools and different places, once they go down, they stay down. They don't bring them back up. So we are limited to opportunities to learn how to swim. You know, if you go into a 70.3, that thing costs you $400. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That man. 800 800 something. Don't go to the world championships, even though you qualified. You I know. And then you got to get there, which is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when uh when the marathon was like seven twelve dollars or something like that. When it mm. went up to twenty, we had a fit. Well now look at it. Then you gotta get in the lottery for the big ones on top of that. <laughs> if you could get in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, ex- uh swimming on the triathlon and then the expense comes second. Okay, okay. It's not that we can't do it because we can dominate this thing. But we need the exposure to facilities and we need good trainers to get us through this thing. We can dominate this whole thing too. What do you find the most challenging aspect of from the coaching aspect? From coaching? I, I really, I enjoy coaching. Actually, um, thing I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy coaching. You don't have no challenges? challenges oh, the challenges. Uh, oh yeah. People that I'm scared, but now I'm <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I gotta answer a thousand questions before I get you in the water. Yeah, that's, that's that fear, especially in the open water, because right. especially out there at the point. Yeah, it's scary because so, you be out there, you just be out yeah, there. I have to answer a thousand questions for it, but really, that, it really doesn't solve their. I mean, don't give them the right answer. So now we, I stop asking. I stop answering questions. I just <laughs> be like, come on, up, get in the water. Up, <laughs> you, you, you give me the answer. You show up. We had one boy show up. He told me he want to watch. I'm like, boy, you better get this wetsuit on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> watch what? We want to watch you. See what you got, and see what. It, because again, everybody's an individual. I like personal training better than group training because again, that's what it takes. Because people come to me all the time. They say, but not. I, I went to the YMCA and I've been to this place and I've been to that place. I can swim, but I can't breathe. So I, you know, <laughs> you can't, can't swim, swim. then. Can't breathe. <laughs> That's the first thing you should have learned. Some no, yeah. <laughs> I can, yeah. So I start them from scratch because again, they see somebody do this or they look at YouTube and try to emulate this and that and got it all wrong. When it's a learning process, it's like seven basics that you learn. From breath control, you do your bobs. Then you learn the prone glide. Then you learn to put the kick with the glide before you start any stroking and all that stuff like that. You learn stroke development like the fifth basic is the stroke development. Yeah, you got to learn all the prone glides and all that stuff like that. So when you see people that you say, man, he, he looked like he gliding. Yes, he is gliding. The stroke is to keep your glide going. Yeah. 
Keep up the momentum. And the kick is to keep you straight. You got a good flutter kick. It might give you like maybe 5% propulsion, but that pull through is where you're going to get everything from. Pull your boat through the water. Mm-hmm. Your whole torso from your head to your feet, that's your boat. Those two arms are your oars. Your oars pull your boat through the water. Bottom line, you learn to float. You learn to glide. That is bottom line. And now with the wetsuits, it's easy for me to teach them that because the wetsuit keeps you right on top where you need them at. That's true. You get a little basic kick and you pull your boat through the water. You're not going down. So don't worry about that part. Everybody like, how deep is it? How deep is it? Like, don't worry about that. <laughs> don't worry about that. You ain't going to be down there. Even even if you try, like when I'm in a pool, I think somebody, somebody dropped the goggles and I was trying to get the goggles and I could not stay down oh, at the bottom of the pool. <laughs> trying to pick the thing right. up. I was like, because I float. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and that's what I mentioned to a couple of uh, police guys that I trained. I said, even now y'all know when y'all pick get those bodies out the lake, they usually have some cement boots on them or, you know, cinder blocks or something to hold them down until they eventually ride off and float to the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even the dead body floats. <laughs> so this live body is easy to float. And if I try to get you to go down to the bottom, you're going to pop right back up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because at Chicago State, I was training. We had the instruction pool. I started training that. But eventually, we get over in that diving well. Or the eight foot, the lap pool. That's why I started the lap pool. We go down the ladder, get down to the bottom, pop back up. And then I have them jump in. I want you to jump in. I want you to go streamline and get to the bottom. You get to the bottom, bend your knees a little bit, spring back up. If you don't do it right, you're going to pop back up anyway. Mm-hmm. The whole drill is to go streamline so you can get to the bottom. Then you need just a little bit so you can push off. Pull your hands back down and you shoot right back up. You shoot up higher than you over the surface if you do it right. So we used to do deep bobs all the way down the pool. Deep bobs in the eight-foot pool. Once you learn that, it's all good. And then they get to understand they're more confident in their swimming ability. And they know they're not going to drown. Yeah, because they know they're not going to drown as be at the bottom of the pool. So Chicago State is another pool that's been down like five years now. That was our best training facility because they had three pools back to back. They had the instruction pool, the lap pool, and the diving well right back to back. And then we had a youth team. We had the Chicago South swim team. We trained a lot of kids in there. A lot of uh, we took them to state Illinois state championships seven, eight times before we just couldn't train them no more to get them there. My son, my youngest son too, he went to state championships Six times. Yeah. Illinois State Swimming. They got him on record. Illinois Swimming. They got all their stats and everything. He was good. When he was 12, man, he was killing them. <laughs> we went to uh, the National Black Heritage Swim Meet in Raleigh, North Carolina. We used to go there. Every year we go there with our team and we compete against, uh, it usually be about 60, 70 teams from all over the country. Black teams or, you know, Hispanic mixed teams. And we would compete with them. And our best showing was we got a third place out of all those teams. Mm, all over the country. That's, that's My good. My son ended up with the High Points Award 
He had the most points. He won the most medals. <laughs> he cleaned it up. He cleaned up in his age group. All right. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm so proud of him because, yeah, he, he took it on. But when he was 12, he had it. Now he's a, he's lifeguards for different facilities and stuff like that. Helped me with TriMasters because he came through TriMasters too. Again, yeah, a lot of the kids that swim on the swim team, they're, they're my swim coaches or, you know, my go-to people when we got to do things with swimming. Okay, okay. So part of my podcast is to feature guests who have overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. Can you tell me about an obstacle that you had to overcome, either running, triathlons, or you mentioned some of them before in this podcast, but can you tell me about an obstacle that you've had to overcome? Obstacle, obstacle, obstacle. Maybe my biggest obstacle was just having the facilities and funding to keep things, you know, where I didn't have to work so hard to scuffle to make it happen. Because when I feel it, when I'm, you know, when you're in charge of something, you got to make it happen. You got to be the real leader. You got to keep your word to your team and you got to supply your team with what they need. And, you know, our community, again, a lot of the kids, they parents didn't have money for that. Mm-hmm. But this is what we got to have. And I got to get it some kind of way. I'm, I'm already begging to get the money, scraping up equipment and stuff like that. But I think that's my biggest obstacle is have the finances to keep things going. And it's still my biggest obstacle right now to lay down a foundation before I leave here, Weta. So it can continue yeah, on? Yeah, this, this program has got to be here after I'm gone. So that's my mission right now is to break that obstacle down to leave this well-needed program that uh, we put so much work into to have it available for kids. Because, again, in our community, there are not enough programs. This is an exciting program. It is. Also, scholarships will be available. They're already available for girls in NCAA. It's three universities now that have NCAA triathlon program. Mm. They, but they're all women. So pretty soon we're going to have one for men too. But right now, it's three, Hampton is one of them. Our kids need those opportunities. And I don't need nobody to say, well, why did he put this in place? Or if I had a known, I'm letting people know now. We, we need funding. We need foundation set up. And we need to make sure this program is replicated across the country. Because over the 30 years, you know how many people have come to me and asked me how to put on a program like that? Mm-hmm. Because, it, again, it's a brand new sport. It's exciting. Kids need it. They do, and they enjoy it. I, I remember volunteering and seeing that the kid that's just so happy, and the, some of the little kids with with the training wheels. It was, it's just so cute, and they're so yeah. excited. Then, uh, <laughs> another thing about that too, Guida, when you train kids when they're young, that's what they know, and that's what they remember, and that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not scared like adults learning to swim. So if you keep them involved in something positive, some sports and stuff, like a lot of parents do, want their kids involved. Because they don't want them on the streets. They don't want to get them involved in their gang and all this other crazy stuff they're doing. So they, they be hunting down programs. Mm-hmm. And this is one that would carry you through life. That's true. Like, like Everybody need to know how to swim. That's a life skill anyway. And mm-hmm. I like that too because our kids, when they learn how to swim, lifeguard is their first job. That is a good man job. A lot of my kids, they run the... And they need lifeguards now because they would like having issues with some pools opening up because they have enough right. lifeguards. Yep. 
And they do trimasters. I mean, a lot of my, I go around to the beach with all them kids. I know, I know all of them. Because <laughs> most of them came through trimaster program. And then at the same time, it used to be coaches like from Simeon and other high school. They used to come to me looking. But now I know you got some kids for me, right? <laughs> yeah, they used to come recruiting my kids to go to their high school. To be on their swim yeah, team? on their running team, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I had a couple coaches, man. They come from runners. <laughs> yeah, they come from runners all the time. But now you got some, I know you got some kids for me. And I, I like some kids that they need to go talk to their parents or whatever. And uh, Simeon used to get most of them because uh, Coach Riley over there, yeah, he said, send for kids all the time. I'll come over there. His father worked with me, too. His father was teaching uh, swimming. Team, yeah, Coach Riley, his father. Yeah, I, I kids, track and field stars, swim champions, cycling. Yeah, they cycling, but they wasn't real champions on that. That was where all the, that's where all the cuts and bruises and all that stuff. Happened. Oh, <laughs> everybody want to race, and they first got to learn safety and wear helmets. You're not riding around here without no helmet. In fact, I used to get the books from the um, I dot kids on bikes. They had a safety book. They I used to go down to uh, downtown to the IDOT office and get those safety books. For the um, bikes. That's what it's called. Mm. And they tell you all the safety, and they had to pass that. Yeah, that's good, because uh, some adults need to, to yeah. read that, too. Cause yeah, some yeah. <laughs> they do. People out there aren't safe. They don't know about passing up etiquette, safety, all that. They don't know none of that. They just get out there and ride, especially with them uh, Divi bikes now. First thing they I mean, people need them, but that's the worst thing. But uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, people need to be a little bit safe for them. So, if an adult Bernard could go back and talk to your younger self, what would advice would you give yourself, a younger Bernard? You a young Bernard with what I know now? Yeah. Well, I stay out of the streets. Get in the program. <laughs> <laughs> be about something. <laughs> right. Well, get involved in all that because when we came through, man. I've lived in all the neighborhoods. I lived in Lawndale. I lived in Inglewood. I lived in Roseland. Right now, I'm still, I'm in Chatham. I've seen the boys and girls. I know how they do. Mm-hmm. Try to steer the many of them I can not to do that. Okay. Be about something. Go to school. Go to college. Because right now, there used to be a high school thing to get you through. That ain't no more. That ain't no more. You need to have your minimum bachelor's degree. Better a master's degree. But if you're smart and you really want to not work hard when you grow up, get you a PhD. <laughs> For real. <laughs> you know about that, though. <laughs> well, I don't have a PhD. I got an MD. I don't have a PhD. <laughs> well, you know what that PhD about, too. Get in on that research money and, and do it your way. <laughs> So any last-minute words of advice for my listeners? You know, always think positive. Physically, take care of your body. It's a lot of people, you know, they waited too late. Or not too late, but they waited till they've got a lot of different illnesses and things going on where you end up the doctor have to change your diet and your schedule for you. Do that yourself. Mm-hmm. Like we train the kids, you know, we train them on nutrition and everything. We have nutritionists come in. It's what you feed yourself. Everything is good, but it's got to be in moderation. And, and then some of the things just are not playing good if you're going to perform. So, again, just take care of your body. Get involved in some health and fitness. 
and you'll live a longer and more happy life. Well, where can people find you? Where can people um, find you or if they want to donate or be involved with the TriMasters, your youth program? Or our TriMasters youth program is www.tri-masters.net. So we're tri-masters.net. They want to donate to our program, find out more about it. I have a website. I have a personal website that I'm building, Rita. You should check it out. Okay. I am the T H E T R I hyphen master dot net. The try hyphen master dot net. That's my personal website. But thanks again for joining me. Hey, that was great. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, Please email Run It Is Cheaper Than Therapy, OLB, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's Run It Is Cheaper Than Therapy, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. OUI Life, OUI Love. Thank you, and please tune in again. <laughs>